that was really good. I didn't know you forgot a capo. I was just marveling at your voice. It was good. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here today. I appreciate your uh, being in church today. I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Joshua again. Joshua, Old Testament book for a good book for us in our time. Joshua chapter 3. And we'll look there in just a moment. That's where we'll take our message from, and we'll give you some verses. I hope you'll take some some notes for further reference later on. When I was a teenager, I was struggling with the will of God uh, for my life. I know sometimes we talk about finding the will of God, and I know what we mean by that, but sometimes it's like uh, God is hiding His will, and He's not hiding anything. But uh, it was a struggle for me. And one of the plainest passages in the Bible is in Romans chapter 12, uh, verses 1 and 2. What the Bible says there is, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies. The word present means to give. It means to yield, that you give your entire body, you give your entire life to God. A living sacrifice, just like in the Old Testament, when uh, the people brought sacrifices, and those sacrifices uh, were unto the Lord, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. And that conformity is on the inside. It's your mind. It's what you think about yourself, what you think about success, what you think about God. He says, I want you to get your values from the Word of God. Be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're going to talk about that later. And that's where the battle for the will of God for me was at. It was in my mind. I'll I'll tell you that in a moment. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, The word prove there means to discern. It means to know by experience. To know intimately. And you're not going to to prove, you're not going to know, you're not going to discern the will of God until you present your body, until you are renewed in your mind and you reject the conformity that your mind has about what success is and getting all of these ideas from the world. And I had to deal with that myself. Uh, My hesitance was not uh, an overt rebellion against God. God began to speak to me about uh, ministry, that doesn't mean that uh, everybody everybody has a ministry. You have a ministry, but occupational ministry. But it wasn't, no, I'm not doing that. I don't want to do that. I had a desire to do that. The Bible says in First Timothy 3, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. It wasn't rebellion, but it was fear. Uh, it was a lack of adequacy, uh, insignificance, and, and just uh, insecurity, not being qualified. And as I've gotten older and uh, even early on, I learned that God delights to use uh, weak people. He, he loves to use simple people, First Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 29. Uh, God doesn't necessarily call qualified people. But he qualifies the called people. So you may be here and God's asking you to do something and you feel like, I'm not very good at that. You may be like I was. And this is, this is worldly thinking. It's wrong thinking. You need to renew your mind 
and think what God wants you to think and present your body and say, God, wherever you go, like we sang that last song, wherever the Savior leads me, I'll go there. Whatever you want me to do, that's exactly what I will do. And when you read the Bible, that's the story of so many people in the Bible. You read about Abraham, you read about Moses, you read about Jeremiah, and these guys were all hesitant about it. Gideon, uh, he said, he said, Lord, what are you asking me to do this? All the disciples, they were simple people. Uh, they, they weren't important people. Uh, now, God does call uh, some people that uh, are very uh, intellectual, hefty people. He does call uh, people that are successful in the world. There's nothing wrong with that. But he doesn't call many. He doesn't call any, but he doesn't call many, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And so I surrendered my life to the Lord. I was 17 years old. I got saved when I was nine. And I surrendered my life fully to the Lord. But after that initial surrender, by the way, when he says here in Romans 12.1, he said to present your bodies, that's an initial surrender. That's a full surrender of your life. But after that, there have been many, many surrenders after that over and over and over and over again. Uh, and this last week, and this last year, and this coming year, there will be more surrenders. And here's what I've learned. That when you surrender, when you make a surrender to the Lord, and that's a good word. It's hard because, because of your, your independent streak. But on the other side of a surrender is great fulfillment. God made you to, to give your life to Him. And there's more than you ever dreamed on the other side of the surrender. And uh, you may be in rebellion. You may be running as like Jonah, as far away, not our Jonah, but Jonah in the Bible, as far away from, from, from God's call as you can. That may be you. But you may be like me where you're just afraid of it. But I'm going to tell you, when you re-engage and you get that wrong thinking out of your mind and you renew your mind, you give yourself to God. There's a very rich, rich life. So here's the problem. And I want to deal with this this morning as we get into it. Sometimes we, we, we get stuck as Christians, you've been saved for a while, in doing things the way we've always done them. We kind of get uh, settled in. Now, there's nothing wrong with tradition, but some things that are old are rotten. And uh, I know some people, they just do away with everything that's current the way they've always done them. But here's the problem. When you create a system, you tend to rely upon it, listen, instead of relying upon God. Uh, whether it's the way you do devotions, the way you live your Christian life. And when you, when you stop depending upon God, you stop listening to God. And insecurity is not something that happens, in my case, when you're 15, 16, 17 years old. It can rear its head up in your middle years or in your latter years. And God's calling you uh, to do something special for Him. But you feel like, oh, I can't do that. I I'm not qualified to do that. Uh, God may want to do something fresh and new in your life. And here's a question I want to ask you this morning. What does God want to do in your life in 2023 that he hasn't ever done before. What does God want to do in the life of Friendship Baptist Church? And I want to say this, whatever it is, if you will think about it and ask God to speak to you about it, 
Whatever it is, is you're underestimating it. Whatever it is, it's bigger than you think it is. Now, I want to talk to you again this week, and God willing, next week, on, on this title, Preparing for an Unknown Future. Now, in essence, all of our futures are unknown, but therein is the problem. It's because it's unknown, we just want to kind of keep it in, in, in automatic and just rely upon our system and, and play it safe. But how do you prepare for that? Let's read the first six verses in Joshua chapter 3. It's only seven, I think 17 verses there. Yes, but we're just going to read the first six verses this morning. Joshua chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And Joshua rose early in the morning. Pay attention to that. We looked at that last week. Mention it again. Rose early in the morning, and they, that is the people, removed from Shedem and came to Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. It came to pass after three days that the officers went throughout the host. That is the host of the people. This was delegated authority. Moses gave them direction. And these officers, verse 3, commanded the people saying, When ye see the ark, pay attention to this line. When ye see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests, the Levites bearing it, they're the only ones that could touch it. Inside of the ark was a copy of, of the original Ten Commandments. And it was where once a year that they took into the, the holy place, the holy of holies, and the blood was put on top of that gold, that solid gold that was there for the Day of Atonement on October the 10th for the nation's sins. And when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. That's important. So you do not move until you see the ark of God. Now, the ark was a symbol of God's presence. Don't move until you see God move. That was the idea. When you see God move, you move. Verse 4, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Now, a cubit is about 18 inches from your elbow to the tip of your fingers. That's about 3,000 feet, a little over half a mile. So the people had to stay about a half a mile. There's a reason for that. I don't know if I'll get to that this morning. I'll share with you maybe this morning, maybe next week. Come not near unto it. That is the ark. Now, underline this. That you may know the way by which you must go. That is by the ark. For you have not passed this way there heretofore. Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant, and pass over before the people. And they took up the ark of the covenant and went before the people. Sixteen times in Joshua 3 and 4, the word ark, ark of the Lord, ark of the covenant is used. It's the theme in these two chapters. And I I highlighted these, at least in verse 4. Look at it again. That ye may know the way by which ye must go, for ye have not passed this way before. Every new year, I think about this verse. I don't know what's going to happen to me this year. But God knows, even though I'm not familiar with it, God knows. And He's going to direct me by His presence, not by a map not by a map, and not giving me detailed directions ahead of time, but day by day. And notice in verse 5, Joshua said, Tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. 
Here's what he was saying. As you follow, as you follow me, where he leads me, I will follow. As you follow me, as you follow the ark, as you follow me, the Lord said, I will do wonders among you. Now, the word wonders there means great, difficult, hard, hard things, wonderful things. It means things that inspire awe in your heart, wondrous things. I like this. It has the idea of things that are too high to comprehend. You see, things that make you go, wow, that's unbelievable. I like this. It's singularly distinguished from any other thing that you've ever done in your life. Here's what he's saying. When you follow God's presence in your life, you end up with wonderful things. That's what he's saying. I'm not talking about possessions. I'm talking about experiences. It may be a possession. It may be getting married. And it may be a thing. But it's, it's your relationship with God as you follow him that he takes you to places and experiences that you've never had before. But you're not going to have these wonders without following the ark, as it were, his presence, even though you don't know where you're going. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, Israel needed to be encouraged. They were in Babylon. They'd kind of given up hope that uh, they weren't going to get, they were there because God was punishing them for 70 years. They'd violated the Sabbath and uh, for all those years. So God punished them and brought the Babylonians in to take them captivity. And so uh, they were discouraged, and Jeremiah the prophet was encouraging them that, listen, God has a future for you. And in Isaiah chapter 43, he reminded them, I don't have time to take you through the whole passage, but he reminded them what he did in Egypt when he took them through the Red Sea and he parted the Red Sea for them. The idea was the same power of redemption that took them out of Egypt, which is a picture of the world, and through the wilderness, and brought them up to the, the corner of Jordan to cross that river, was the same power that was going to get them through the rest of their life. And he says something really interesting that's for you and I. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18, to these people in that chapter, watch this. He says, Remember ye not the former things. In other words, don't, don't get caught up in the past. Neither consider the things of old, because there were some difficult things back there. And here's what he says. They had a hard time. Behold, I will do a, a new thing, a new thing. Now, the word new there means fresh. That's what it means. It means unprecedented. Now, obviously, if it's new, it hasn't ever happened. But I want you to look at it this way. It's a fresh thing. God's telling them, I still have some fresh things I want to do for you. Now, what are some fresh things that you want to happen in your life this year? What are some fresh things God wants to do in our church? Now, here's the danger. Sometimes we plan it, and God's got the better plan. The better idea is what are the fresh things that God wants to do for you, your family? What are the fresh things He wants to do in our church? Because He says, I will do a new thing. Now, keep reading. Now, it shall spring forth. And those words are used of a, of a bud, a herb that's been planted, a flower that's been planted, and it begins to germinate and it begins to grow. It begins to spring forth. It's like a, a gradual growth. But here it's not, it's not a plant. It, it's the events in your life 
that almost silently begin to begin to bloom. Now watch this. I will do a fresh thing, a new thing for you. And in our church, it will spring forth. Don't, don't look for, for something that's just spectacular. It will spring forth. Shall you not know it? He said, this is going to happen. Now watch this. I will make a way in the wilderness. And that's a miracle. I'll put rivers in the desert. That's a miracle. God wants to do something fresh in your life, in your marriage, in your walk with Him. Now, when I, I'm afraid to say something different because you start trying to rearrange it and do it on your own. You're headed for catastrophe. you got to follow the ark. The ark represents God's presence. One of my closest friends years ago was going through some very, very difficult times. He had made some mistakes, and I remember uh, I was trying to encourage him, and he told me, uh, he and I were talking in a restaurant, and he told me, he said, Rick, I'm 30 years old, and the best years of my life are over. He was a very successful person, a very gifted person. I'm 30 years old, and the best years of my life are over. And I remember sitting there trying to persuade him and encourage him. And I wonder if there's someone here this morning that you may not be 30, but you may be filling the blank. And you feel like, you know, the best is over. Well, not according to God, not according to Joshua 3, not according to Isaiah 43. I don't care if you're 80 or 90. I don't care if you're 9. God wants to do some new things. But it's the Lord that wants to do this. It's not your plans. You want to follow the ark. Follow His presence. Follow the will of God in your life. As long as you're breathing, God has a purpose for you. He has a task and a work for you to do. So here's the question I want to try to answer this morning in our time. How do you put yourself in a position to experience God's best? How do you put yourself in that position to experience God's best? Because if you miss it, you're really going to miss something. But even in the present tense, when you miss it, there's going to be this gnawing feeling of dissatisfaction. that I'm not where I'm supposed to be. And Satan will lie to you. Here's what he'll do. He'll tell you that if you do this, if you obey God in this matter, you're going to be miserable. When the truth is, if you disobey God and you don't follow the ark, as it were. And when I say ark, I'm talking about the ark of the covenant. This was a piece of furniture that they took into the Holy of Holies. I may throw a picture up for you the next time, not Noah's ark. Okay. It's where they put the blood sacrifice. You're going to be miserable if you don't follow God's ways. Now, here's the big idea for the message, and I'm going to cultivate it this morning. When you follow God's direction, you always find God's best. When you follow God's direction, you always find God's best. Always. Always. Follow God's direction. That means you have to hear His voice. So in this passage in Joshua 3, we find how that God can do this fresh work and give us direction. Let me give you some things. Number one, to do this, you've got to get a word from God. Now, I spent some time on this last week. I want to develop it some more because this is crucial. If you want His direction, you have to have His words. 
You have to get a word from God. Now, there's a a secret into Joshua's life and leadership, and I want to hit it again real quick. In Joshua chapter 3 and verse 1, the Bible there says, And Joshua rose early in the morning. Now, it's easy just to kind of read through something and say, well, he was an early riser. Four times in the book of Joshua, it says he rose early, and every one of those are significant experiences, every one of them. The only time he didn't is when they went to Ai and 36,000 men were killed. He didn't didn't follow the ark. He didn't didn't hear God's voice. He didn't seek it. He, He didn't get up early that morning, and they paid for it. And we find out what he was doing in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Joshua 1, 8. And the Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. And what he means by that is, Joshua, when you make your decisions, your commands as a leader, you, you don't want the word of God to, to when you speak, do, do not omit the word of God. It needs to season everything you think and everything that you say. And here's how you do it. Meditate therein that in the law of God, the word of God, day and night, morning and night, it's in your mind. That thou mayest observe to do. It's something that you're trying to obey, not just to break apart so you can learn it academically, according to all that is written therein. For then, watch this, then, when you do that, thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. For then, the only time the word success is used in the Bible is here. The word prosperous there means to have a breakout. It means you, you just have, you know, an athlete sometimes struggles, and then they have a breakout game. They have a breakout year. That's the word prosperous there. It means it just breaks out for you. Uh, maybe a breakout in your family, a breakout in your career, just, just a breakout in your Christian life. This is what it means. It comes through meditation. And the word success there has the idea of a skill. It means expertise, whether it's wisdom or other ways. God gives you unusual success, a cutting edge, as it were. I'm not against education, but I'm really for meditation, biblical meditation. And keep reading. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Don't miss that. God is with you. Follow him. Then, there's the word again. Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pastor the host. And then he goes in and, and gives the command, basically, which is what he's doing in chapter 3. But he didn't do that until he had meditated in the word, which is what he's doing in Joshua chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, meditating upon the Bible has a lot of benefits, and we covered those last week. I'm not going to repeat that. But chief among them is it transforms your life. But it's not Bible reading. Now, I think that Bible reading is a major spiritual discipline because you can't meditate if you don't read. And if you're not reading the Bible every day, find a portion and read it. I think, uh, you still have those reading lists out there? Are they still out there? Are they gone? They're out here. Okay, we'll put some more out there for you next week. But you get on the internet. Um, I went in the doctor's office uh, this past week and I waited an hour. And my doctor's a Christian and he got all kinds of Christian literature. He had a Gideon Bible there. And it was in the morning. 
And uh, so I just reached over and I read the proverb for the day. I read five Psalms and I was about to read the Acts, the chapter in Acts for the day. Man, it was just a rich time just reading the Word of God. It ministered to my heart. It helped me and gave me some spiritual meat to chew into and to, to digest from my heart. And uh, wherever you're at, uh, on your phone, in other places, be prepared to do that. Um, Jerry Bridges said this. He was a writer. He just went to heaven about five years ago. Here's what he said. Look at this. Usually we think of methods of intake. He's talking about Bible intake as falling into four categories. Hearing the word taught by our pastors and teachers. Reading the Bible ourselves, which I just mentioned. Studying the scriptures intently. And memorizing key passages. All of these methods are needed for a balanced intake of the Word. But we must do more than hear, read, study, or memorize Scripture. We must also meditate on it. Because you must, you must read it and you must memorize it before you can meditate upon it. Now I want to give you real quickly, and I'm not going to spend much time on these six keys to fruitful meditation. I'm just going to go through these very quickly. And hopefully this will help you, okay? Uh, Number one, if if you want to have a fruitful meditation, there must be time. It's going to take some time. And as I go through this, you may say, well, I can't do that. Well, then you're not going to prosper. You're not going to have good success. This, This is worthwhile. You need to make this a priority. It takes time. It takes time to read. It takes time to, to take a little card and write a verse or sometimes just the line of a verse. You don't have to write the whole verse or an idea that you have. And take that time to do that and the time to, to look at it, whether you put it in your, 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 your pocket or in your phone or whatever. And then just look at it. And maybe it's one verse you're learning for the week. But something that captures your heart. And think about it. Take the time. Number two, focus. And boy, this is this is huge. Um, the thing that helped me the most with meditation was not just memorizing a verse. And and at night when I would memorize a chapter, uh, I would do it slow because here's what I would do: I'd focus on each word. And you're 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 soaking in the text, but you're not soaking in the text at large. You're soaking and highlighting each word. Don't hurry through it. I remember when I was uh, uh, years ago going through Psalm 51, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy love and kindness. I I couldn't get through the first three verses without weeping because of what the words meant. Have mercy upon me, O God, this prayer, according to thy love and kindness. Hesed is a Hebrew word. It's a word for grace. Blot out my transgressions, and I think about the word blot, and and illustrations would come to my mind. And so just focus and and break each word apart. And and don't, if it's a familiar passage, we can't, oh, I know what that means. You ever hear a preacher sometimes, they preach on a familiar passage, you say, well, I didn't know that was in there. Well, it's always been there. But sometimes we're too lazy, and we don't have the spiritual insight because we haven't had the discipline to meditate upon it. Number three, personalize. Put yourself in the text. See it in color. Um, Sometimes, if it's appropriate, take personal pronouns and put your name in there. But make it personal. Again, don't hurry through it. I mean, if if there's water, hear the water. See the color. If Jesus is on the hillside, try to see it and think about it. Hear the sounds. Personalize it. Make it real. Number four, pray. I love to do this. 
Uh, Make it a prayer. When you read the Bible, God talks to you. But when you pray, you talk to God. And so this this is where the conversation, this is when the fellowship happens. You read the Bible, you memorize the Bible, you meditate upon the Bible, and then you turn those meditations back to prayers. Number five, apply it. You, the purpose, remember what he told Joshua, to observe, to do, according to all. Your, your purpose, the Bible was not written for your information, but for your transformation. And so what question is answered or problem is solved? And sometimes God will introduce that to you. How does it deal with your current situation? In my reading, God will sometimes just like just blinking lights. Boy, look at this. Read this. Um, what has encouraged you? Where do you need to repent? What is a, your call to worship? Do you need to make reconciliation? All of these things and many, many more. How does it apply to you? And act on that obedience. Well, that's huge. Act on that obedience. And this is where your life begins to change. And I put this last one. I think this is important. Right. I think people fail here. Right. Write down what you have learned. Insights, principles, responses. Just write. Have a little notebook somewhere, and write down some of the things God is teaching you. This is so much fun, and uh, and this will help you. I hope that's, that's. I went through that really, really quick. Um, George Mueller, the the famous Christian pastor. Uh, ran the orphanages there. Here's what he said. It often astonishes me that I did not see the importance of meditation upon Scripture earlier in my Christian life. As the outward man is not fit for work for any length of time unless he eats, so it is with the inner man. What is the food for the inner man? The Word of God. Not the simple reading of the Word of God. Through our minds, just as water runs through a pipe, so that it only passes through our minds, just as water runs through a pipe. No, we must consider what we read. Now notice these words, consider. Consider, ponder, and apply it to our hearts. So if you want to get a word from God, you must have a daily time alone with the Lord. And part of that involves reading, memorizing, and meditating. Now, the next idea I want to give you is this one, is through the Word of God and prayer, He will speak to you and He will direct you. This is what the ark is about. Notice in verse 3, And they commanded the people, saying, When you see the ark, the covenant of the Lord your God, and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall remove from your place and go after it. Then, then, don't move, don't do something until God speaks to you. You're going to make some bad decisions if, if you do it on intuitiveness or just because somebody else told you to do it. Now, advice is good. Nothing wrong with good counsel. But ultimately, you need to do what God tells you to do. And He's going to speak to you as you spend time with Him. This is huge. There are some more components in this message. But this is so fundamental and foundational that you, you are spending time with God. Not just coming to church and hearing me talk. But you're building, you're building your depth. You're building your walk with God. Now, in the Old Testament, or in the, yeah, in the Old Testament, even now, I think they still do this. I remember when I was in Israel and uh, looking at the nomadic people there. It was remarkable. It was like being thrown back to the Old Testament. We were going down to Jericho, and uh, you almost just wanted to drop your jaw. Wow, this is like they created this for us, but it's the way they live. 
they would create, uh, they would have the sheep and they would create like a, almost like a little fort, little tiny, about uh, as big as a stage, maybe a little wider. And they would get briars and so forth, about five or six feet tall. And it was to keep the wolves and other prey out. And they had one opening. It was called the door. That's why Jesus said, I'm the door. And uh, so the sheep came in and out of that. And then the shepherd hired a man called the porter. And the porter was the one that helped him guard the sheep when he was out taking them to eat and help protect them. And they stayed inside of that nest, inside of that fort, inside of that area. And and he talks about this, but I want to emphasize something else. In John chapter 10 and verse 3, look at this. John 10, 3. To him, the him is the shepherd. To the shepherd, the porter openeth, the guy that was helping him, his assistant. When it says opened, there wasn't a door. There may have been another little area of briars and stuff that they had. but So a place there where they entered and exited. And the sheep, the, the, the shepherd's sheep, pay attention to this, they hear the shepherd's voice. Don't miss this. They hear his voice. And he, the shepherd, calls his own sheep by name. Now look, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, he calls the stars by name. All these, these billions of stars, he has a name for everyone. And he knows your name. Psalm 139. He knows your address. He knows your eye color. He knows your DNA. He knows your name. And he, look at this, and he leadeth them out. Well, there's so much in that verse. They hear his voice. He calls your name and he leads you out. And I want to ask you a question. Do you hear the voice of God? You say, well, boy, I'd like to do that. Well, you can. You hear his voice through his words. This is called the word of God. Notice in the next verse, in John chapter 10 and verse 4, And when he, the shepherd, puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now later on in the text, it says they don't know the voice of a stranger that is false teachers. And this is what's interesting. The word voice there doesn't mean just words spoken. It has the idea of not just the, the, the words, but the voice. The tone. Every, every person that speaks, you have a signature to your voice. Now most of the time, if you've ever spoken in public or, or you, you preach or you, you're a public speaker and you hear yourself, you don't like your voice. I don't like my voice. And you hear yourself, you man, I, I don't like that. But you have a signature. Uh, we can be in a crowd and I can I say, I hear my wife. Uh, I hear my kids. I know my friend's voice because I, I'm familiar with them. I love them. Now, I may not even be able to know the words, but I know their voice. See, that's what it means. It's not just the words. I know their voice. And and as you become, watch this, as you become familiar with the words, you get familiar with his voice. It says the same thing in a different way later on in John chapter 10 and verse 27. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's the purpose that you know his voice. It's for relationship and for guidance. Where he leads me, I will follow. Now, his voice 
is a voice of comfort. It's a voice of compassion, a voice of caring, a voice of warning, a voice of teaching. But it's also a voice of guidance. God does not leave you on your own. It's like the ark. It's God's presence. He wants to take you somewhere. Now, I want to, I want to kind of give a caution here. Because when I talk about God guiding people, sometimes we make a mistake when we begin to seek things and we assign them to God. And we say, you know, God, God has called me. I, uh, I had a friend uh, one time said, uh, uh, I have a goal. and It's my goal to be a millionaire by the time I'm 30. And I said, well, I, I've never heard of a goal like that. I wasn't criticized, just had never thought about that. My goal is to be a millionaire by the time that I'm 30 years old. Many young people, when they're younger, and, and I'm sure I was one of them, you know, when I was, you know, I want to be a professional athlete. I want to, to do things. And so we have, the, we have these big dreams. We have these big goals. And if we're not careful, we're not motivated by the glory of God. We're motivated either to make ourselves look good or to be in a position of safety and security. I remember when the Lord said, well, I want you to do this in ministry. I said, well, Lord, I can't do that, but I can do this. I can, I can play the piano and I can help somebody. I'll stay behind the scenes where nobody will see me. That's what I'll do. And I was negotiating and he kindly in his mercy and patience put up with that. I wasn't trying to rebel him. I was trying to negotiate because of fear. So sometimes people come up with these big dreams. I was telling Daniel yesterday, I heard David Gibbs one time, the, the attorney, say, he was talking to pastors. He said, pastors, you need to be careful. He said, sometimes I hear pastors talk and they, they talk about this, this vision for their church. And he said, I hear it and, and I don't hear anything but raw ambition. Just ambition. So you need to be careful. Jeremiah had a had a friend, it was his best friend, Baruch, and uh, it was his faithful assistant. And they were in Babylon together. Jeremiah had a very difficult ministry. In fact, Baruch had helped him write the Bible, uh, Jeremiah, the, uh, the book of Jeremiah, and was one of his penmen and so forth. There came a time when this man became very discouraged, and Baruch had a brother that was involved in the government. He had he he worked for for the king, and so he saw where Jeremiah was being persecuted and his life was being threatened, and he saw that Israel was going down the tubes, and so apparently he began to seek great things, and he said, "Well, you know, my brother is is really up in the palace, and maybe I need to kind of leave Jeremiah." And go to greener pastures. This is a hard ministry. And so Jeremiah wrote a, a, a small passage, five verses, in Jeremiah chapter 45. And here's what he wrote, just, just one verse. I'm going to give you in Jeremiah chapter 45 and verse 5. And it was to his friend. And he said, And seekest thou great things for thyself? He said, Seek them not. And he says, this is his best friend. He said, for behold, I will bring evil upon all flesh, saith the Lord. He said, listen, judgment's coming. And thy life will I, will I give unto thee for a prey in all places whither thou goest. 
says, you're, you're going to be judged. If you go in the palace, you're going to be judged with those people. So you, you follow me. My eyes are attracted to that first line, to his friend, words from God. He says, seekest thou great things? And here's the problem. Not great things, but for yourself. He says, seek them not. Whenever you seek prominence outside the will of God, it is a dangerous predicament. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5 says, Let your conversation, it means your lifestyle, the way you live, be without covetousness. Be with, don't, don't want things. And be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I used to think that was kind of a strange way to end it. But here's what he's saying. Be content with me. Be content with my presence. Be content with my leadership. Be content with my, my provision. Don't use me, God is saying, to try to make your dreams come true. That's what he's saying. In fact, when God brought Israel up to the up to the Red Sea, and he brought them to the Jordan River to cross, that wasn't their idea. He did make them. You talk about a great experience. But that wasn't their idea. That was the will of God for them. In fact, that's what he said in Jeremiah chapter, or I'm sorry, Joshua chapter 3. He said, tomorrow the Lord will do wonders. God has some wonders he wants to do for you. But let him bring you to that place. Don't try to bring strange fire. Don't, don't, don't try to push things and make things happen for your flesh. The Bible also says that God, as I said in the opening part of the message, will do some things that are beyond your comprehension. We sang it this morning. He is able. One of my favorite verses, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly. Not just exceeding. It could have just said he's able to do all that we ask or think. But he's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Your mind, your mind cannot contain what God wants to do, what he can do, and what he wants to do for you. And you cannot request the things that God can do for you. And it's according to the power that rests in you. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And here's the litmus test. Can there be glory in the church, which is a good definition of revival? Can God be glorified in that request? That's the issue. Not according to what it's going to do for you, but what is it going to do for God? Unto Him that is able. I like that. He's able. God can do whatever He wants to do. God God delights to, to do things for humble people. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, As it is written, I hast not seen or ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love Him. That love Him. He told the nation in, in uh, Egypt, in Psalm 81 and verse 10, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. I'm sorry. He was using Egypt as an example. Open thy mouth wide. And I will fill it. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Charles Spurgeon said about this verse, Because he had brought them out of Egypt, he could do great things for them. He had proved his power and his goodwill. It remained only for his people to believe in him and ask large things of him. If their expectations were enlarged to the utmost degree, they could not exceed the bounty of the Lord. 
Little birds in the nest open their mouths widely enough, and perhaps the parent birds fail to feed them. But it will never be so with our God. He will fill our mouths. So it's not a conflict between God doing great things for you and you're not seeking them. You're not to seek them. You, you seek Him. Follow the ark. This is where we're at. Follow the presence of God and He will bring you to these great things. If you attempt to do them, it's foolish. But when God brings you there not to attempt it at His direction, you're going to miss a highlight of your life. Joshua 3, 4, the way which you must go. And I ask you this morning, whose voice are you following? Who is directing your life? Because if you miss His voice, you're going to miss the Lord doing wonders in your life. Follow the ark. Follow the ark. The Bible says in the wilderness, in Numbers chapter 10 and verse 33, And they departed from the mount of the Lord three days' journey, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days' journey. This is before they even got. This is in the wilderness. They were always following the ark, following the ark. Moses told God, he said, I'm not, I'm not leading these people without you. I can't do this without you. This is too hard of a job. And God told Moses in Exodus 33 and verse 14, He said, Mo, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. My presence will go with thee, and I will give you rest. The word rest there means comfort, quiet, and peace. And listen carefully. God is not going to give you a detailed map. Okay, now here's what's going to happen this year. Because this year may be cancer. This year may be divorce. This year may be heartbreak. This year may be a raise. This year may be new grandkids. This year may be the best year of your life. Your job is to follow the ark and be content with his presence rather than seeking daily information and seeking your comfort. Let God give you your rest. So here's the secret of life, and I close with this. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now look at this. Looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus. You see, that's, that's faith. When you look, you're not doing anything. You're resting. You're looking unto Jesus. One writer said that this was an allusion to the games in Greece, almost like the Olympic Games, where that the runners were keeping their eyes fixed on the mark of the prize to keep the goal in view. Well, our prize is Jesus. It's not recognition. It's not fame. Looking unto Jesus. And then when you go to verse 3, you know what it says there? The very first thing in verse 3, For consider Him that endured such contradiction of sinners. Looking unto Jesus, consider Him. Are you hearing, are you hearing 
the voice of God. Because listen, if you want God's best for your life, rather than being stuck in neutral, just going through the motions, you must listen to the voice of your Father. And wherever He leads, you just go there. I remember when we went on our first cruise, Paula and I, on our 20th anniversary, we went to Bermuda. We flew up to New York, and uh, a friend of mine told me that was a nice place to go. So we uh, went to Bermuda. And boy, we, we went back there and took uh, Ashley and her, her cousin, our, our uh, niece, Melanie's daughter, and went again. And I, I noticed that, uh, in fact, on every cruise we've been on, this has been the case. But um, when you go to Bermuda, there's two places to, to go in there. Actually, there's three on, on the other end. That's shaped like a fish hook. But anyhow... The place we went into, which only small boats, if you have a large boat, you can't go in there now. And uh, they have literally cut out a place to go in because Bermuda is is set on top of a volcano where a volcano erupted. And if you look at it under the ocean, you see where that thing came up. It's really neat. And so they literally cut out a place for the ships to come in. And those ships, in fact, they make an announcement to come out. Look, you're, you're coming in and there's like six feet on each side where that ship comes in. Well, I, I love to watch us uh, come into the ports and so forth. So we're leaning over the, the boat watching. And I noticed this this little tugboat, but it wasn't tugging. Man, that thing was fast. I don't know what you'd call those little boats. And he's, he's speeding up there. And uh, all of a sudden, I said, Paula, look at this guy. And he comes up, and he gets right up to the side, and he jumps on our ship. And then when you leave... He's on the ship, and then you're watching this tugboat follow you, and then he comes right up the ship, and then he gets, he jumps off of it. And uh, he's called a harbor pilot. There's some other names, but a harbor pilot. And the harbor pilot knows that area. He knows the currents. He knows the depth. He knows all of the dangers, every single place about that. I was reading about these guys this weekend they make anywhere from two hundred fifty to four hundred thousand dollars, and the death rate is one in twenty. One in twenty. It's a dangerous occupation, but they know that. And uh, and those pilots, the captains of the ship, will be fools not to turn the command of their ship over to them because those guys know where the hidden dangers are. My friend, Jesus, to use a silly story, is your harbor pilot. And I am a stupid man if I don't turn my life over to him and hear his voice when he says, Rick, you go here and you do this, even if I don't understand. But I'm not hearing his voice if I'm not in the word and I'm not meditating. And you're going to make some bad mistakes. If you don't get in the Word, you don't listen to Him. I plead with you, I beg you, to follow the presence of God and to hear His voice. Would you pray with me, would you? Our Heavenly Father, as we leave today, Lord, all over this room are needy people. And I am... 
primary. And we desperately need you. Lord, the year before us, even the week before us, this day before us, we need you. We need your presence. And just like those Israelites thousands of years earlier, they, they kept their eyes on the ark. They watched it. And when it left, they left. Where it went, they went. I pray that you would help us to break out of our, our routine, if need be, and that you would do a new work, a fresh work in our life. Help us to be more attentive. I pray that you would do a, a fresh work in the life of our church. But Lord, you only do that, really not organizationally, but relationally. As, as you do a work in each and every member of our church. And that starts, Lord, with me and these precious people. So, so stir in us. Help us not be the same. Lord, uh, some of us may be afraid of what the future holds. Help us to trust our future to a good God, a wise God. And Lord, we, we declare our surrender to you. And as we sang this morning, where you lead, we will follow. I pray for someone here that has never trusted Christ as their Savior. They, they're not truly born again. Maybe they made a profession of faith, but they've never heard your voice. They, they have no desire to please you. They don't understand the Bible. They don't love the Bible. They don't love church. They don't love you. I pray that they will be born again. I pray for those that are facing a big decision that you would make show yourself strong on their behalf. I pray for those that are neglecting their time alone in the Word of God. And I pray that you would... Open our hearts as we get into the Word. Now bless our time of fellowship next door as we go and just talk and share. May it be a rich time. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.